been here before for too many days not enough time to get me away from feeling like welcome to another episode of a stone's throw podcast i'm your host garrett ebling earlier this week i spoke with nicole pearson the mother of gavin pearson who was diagnosed in april 2012 with a brain tumor at the age of five nicole her husband steve Gavin and his siblings Grace and Gage live in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. I chose to speak with Nicole having followed Gavin's journey on his CaringBridge site for several years. Nicole has used the website as a diary of sorts and has shared the gamut of her emotions, being a mother of a child who continues to live with a brain tumor today. Nicole, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. Can you describe for me briefly, and I know there's a lot has happened since since the uh, initial diagnosis, um, but what is Gavin's condition? Uh, what was it then? And can you tell me about what, what it was like uh, to find out about what was happening and, and also how you determined something was wrong? Sure. So Gavin was five, as you mentioned, uh, in 2012. And uh, until we realized something was wrong, Gavin was the most energetic child you could you could imagine his nickname was spider-man at gymnastics because he would just like climb the rope of 40 feet and uh, be bouncing around uh, he, he never had any health issues right so he had maybe strep throat twice as as a toddler and and uh, he was in kindergarten full-time and just doing doing really well um, the the scary thing I think when when people ask me this question is how fast it really happened uh, I remember on a Wednesday uh, in April, it was it was starting to be spring in Minnesota, so everyone's outside. And I remember being outside with the kids, and we were just playing. and And I noticed that Gavin, when he looked up at me from playing with his toy cars, he just kind of like opened his eyes really wide, and he seemed to be having trouble like looking at me. And I mentioned it to my husband as well. He was like, "Yeah, that's kind of weird," but again, we. We didn't really think anything of it. He's kind of a silly kid. He likes to joke around. Maybe he was just being funny. Uh, within just a couple of days from that, on Saturday morning, when he woke up, he could not track his eyes moving side to side. And we realized that it almost looked like one was lagging, you know? So if he would look really fast at something, the one eye was just not able to, to move with the other eye. And this was Easter weekend in, uh, in April. And you know, my uh, my aunt had come over for we were having a birthday party for my daughter Grace, and we said, "Hey, I don't know what's happening. You know, looks like something's wrong with his eye." At that point, I didn't think anything more than it's his eye. You know, maybe he got something in it. Maybe there's an infection. Uh, but my aunt very quickly said, "No, you need to you need to go to the hospital right now," and uh, was very serious about us leaving the party and going to Children's in St. Paul. Uh, so very quickly there, the doctors, uh, multiple doctors looked at Gavin and said, we need to do a scan right now. Um, and I would say within 40 minutes of being there, which is really fast for the ER, we already had a diagnosis. Wow. Um, yeah. So the doctor had, had told us there's a mass in his brain and it was, it was just shocking. I mean, I, I couldn't process, um, I couldn't process what I was hearing that my healthy kid who was doing headstands two hours ago uh, has a has a brain tumor has a mass in his head and and worse than that um, it's causing pressure to build up and he needed emergency brain surgery that um, night that night yep that night so in, yeah in a matter of hours you've gone from 
well, something's just a little off to this, your life's changed. Yeah, yeah, and I don't even think you can process how much it's changing at that time. You're just, uh, you, you go very quickly to disbelief, and I can't, I can't comprehend this, to, oh my God, what are we going to do? How do we fix him? How do we make it, make it better? Um, and that kind of started the, the very long journey that we had um, over, over the next few years of treating him. Yeah, uh, so the brain tumor has a nickname. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who was Joe Bully then, and who is Joe Bully now? Are they the same? They are definitely not the same. I'll tell you what, bullies get beat down eventually. Um, when Gavin was uh, still five, and uh, the tumor, we had tried to treat it with chemo. We had tried to do craniotomies, which were anywhere from 16 to 20 hour surgeries. Uh, and we could not stop this tumor. It, it was a growing teratoma. Um, it, it grew despite chemo. It doubled in size in eight weeks. It was the size of a peach in his brain. And he was five. I mean, just to imagine it was taking over. And, and Gavin in his humor and, and his way of dealing with things at such a young age, he said, you know what, mom, it's a bully. And, and I'm going to name it Joe Bully because my surgeon is Joe Petronio and I think he's going to win, you know, and he just, he just had this way of dealing with it that honestly, like Steve and I, we, we were like, okay, let's just follow Gavin because we're like devastated at everything we tried and it just wasn't working. And, and Gavin just, it's like, nope, you guys can't give up on me because I'm going to win this. you got to help me fight Joe Bully. And just the community and his doctors and our family, we just we just followed him, right? And we're like, all right, we are in your ring with you. You know, you're leading this fight against this this bully in your head. Um, and it was just such a fitting name. Again, it was, it was stealing everything from Gavin, the, the son that we had, the son that we knew. He, um, he had so many complications throughout all of his treatments. And you know, now he's 13 and Joe Bully is kind of, um, kind of this just beat down, um, former, you know, kind of ghost of, of, of himself. And, and he's, he's not threatening to take, to take everything Gavin uh, has worked for anymore. He has no power anymore. Okay. So in the current, in the current situation that the tumor is under control, uh, currently, we would say we have um, kind of a dormant tumor, I guess. Uh, we, you know, we treated it eventually, as you said, Gavin was the first to take this medi medication, uh, the first child in the world to take it. Oh. And it stopped, what it did is stopped the tumor from growing because it wasn't that we couldn't do things to this tumor. We could do surgeries and things, but it just would grow back faster than we could even recover. And so the medicine stopped the, the cellular growth of the tumor kind of at the cellular level. And then soon after that, we began a new treatment that he also was the first for, which is uh, ablating the tumor with LIT, which is laser interstitial thermal therapy. And we had to do that over a course of years, you know, so because it was so large, we would treat a portion of it. And then we'd wait six months, let him recover, treat another portion of it. And it was a very long, tedious pr process, right? We had to have faith and patience that eventually this will work. And it was, um, you know, of course, very frustrating at times because you felt like you weren't doing 
you weren't doing it fast enough. You know, you just wanted it gone. But but um, eventually, yeah, we, we are to a point now where we've ablated the entire tumor. Um, one thing that we were worried about is because of that heat that um, is applied to the tumor, uh, there's, there was some cystic growth, which we were worried it could be tumor recurrent, reoccurrence, but it was not. In fact, last December, uh, Gavin had a surgery just to drain the cyst, and it was just fluid. Um, and at this point, nothing's growing. It's just there's, there's still a smaller mass uh, there, but it's not, it's not causing any issues. Okay, great. Um, how, did, how did this tumor affect him in a development sort of way. I know this has been over a course of years and years, and there's, as a child, you're in your, you're in your um, prime development years. So how how did that affect him, and how how did he handle that? Right. I would say the the hardest thing. Uh, so Gavin was a very smart kid, and and rode his boat, rode his bike at four years old. He was reading before kindergarten began, and so I think. I think for him, he's always had a, a very motivated approach to learning about the world around him, right? He has this, this yearning for knowledge. And I thank God for that because, because he wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to do the normal things that kids his age can do like read, uh, if it weren't for that. He, he lost his ability to read multiple times in this procedure, uh, the procedures that he had where he would wake up and he would look at letters and had no idea after previously, you know, learning how to read. He woke up at one time and had auditory agnosia. He couldn't understand anybody around him. We had to learn sign language. I mean, this kid has had so many things working against him while most kids are just at school, right? And they're just, they're just around their friends and they're learning. He had uh, to relearn and relearn and relearn and how he dealt with it. I, I honestly, I witnessed it and I, and I helped him and I motivated him as much as I could, but it had to be from him. I mean, as a teacher, I know I can do everything in my power to motivate a kid to learn, but unless they want to, right, it, it's going to be tough. And, and Gavin just wanted so badly to, to be himself. And, um, you know, he's just never complained. He's never complained. I, I think now that he's getting a little older, he, he has said, I wish I didn't have to have it so so tough. I wish things came easier for me. So he's, you know, he's growing in that way of like reflecting, but he still, it still doesn't change that he's just going to keep trying. You know, he's just going to keep pushing forward every day. Uh, one really hard thing was the social aspect of things, right? So he was in the hospital, I mean, the entire year of being six years old. He, he spent more time in the hospital than not. And, you know, he it's a different social atmosphere. You have therapists and doctors and nurses and everybody who loves you and cares about you doing whatever you need because you feel so cruddy all the time. And that's different than most six-year-olds' lives where they're learning how to share and how to take turns and how to, you know, so there was some of that where he had to learn those appropriate social cues with other kids who, who didn't have the same experience as him and, and it made him feel different, um, you know, many times. And I'm just so thankful we have the community we have that embraced him still and, and loved him. Eight years ago, where did you think Gavin would be at this point in this journey? 
You know, that's a great question. I just wrote a CaringBridge post recently after having a high school transitions meeting for Gavin, which was like, wait, what is what's happening? My, my kid's going to high school next year. And, you know, I sat at that meeting with uh, a woman who's a health and disability therap- uh, therapist or I'm not sure, teacher, I guess. Um, and she sat at the first meeting when Gavin was five and he was going through hell and And I couldn't imagine him even going back to school at that point. And she sat there and she said, you know, I'm going to stay with Gavin until he's in high school. And I remember just thinking, how, how is he going to make it to high school? How is he going to make it to next month? Um, you know, I think what I sometimes overlook in this story, because it's so painful, is how close we were to losing him. Um, at one point, Before we were told we would have a chance to try this medicine, we were told that Gavin had uh, maybe months to live. And we weren't even sure he would make it to his next birthday. Um, so eight years ago, I think I think I just I just kept looking for tomorrow. I couldn't I couldn't imagine. Um, it was too painful to think beyond tomorrow, beyond next week, beyond next month because everything every day was keeping him to keep him alive um, at that time. And so when I when I think of, of how hard that was to where we are, it really is um, I guess it's just really humbling and and it reminds you uh, to be so thankful that he is 13 and that he does get to go to high school and again, that was my dream at one time like my son would be here still and he is. So it's, yeah. Has your definition of success in regard to treating Gavin's condition changed from when you initially received the diagnosis? Um, I guess I, I'm trying to understand what... Yes, what would be considered the win? I, I, I guess what I'd yeah. say initially would be like, I want my old son back. Yes. Would be the win, right? Yes. <laughs> But I think over time, yep. you might realize that yeah. I'm not getting the old kid back. So yeah. So what what is success then in terms of a win at the end? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll be honest, it changes as you go. I remember when he lost the ability to hear what people were saying, right? So it's this agnosia. It's this very specific part of your brain that processes sounds and, and makes a meaning of a word, right? And I remember after that happened, me going, well, it's okay as long as he's alive. We'll just we'll be okay. He can he can use this device and he'll communicate this way. And you kind of like barter. Like, I mean, it, it's it's really sad when I look back and I think of all the things I was willing to to change about my life and my kids' life and my entire dreams and hopes for our future as a family, as long as it meant he was with us, right? And I think um, I think the win is is that he's here. But but what's even more incredible is that when I thought Gavin's life is going to be in a wheelchair, Gavin's life is going to be communicating differently, Gavin's life, he has, he has overcome, uh, I mean, just the impossible. He has shown us that he can, he can be independent, that he can relearn things, that he can find ways around things, that his brain can rewire even to, uh, to do things that he wasn't able to do. And I guess, I guess success is A, he's here, right? And I would have said that at any point, at any condition he was. But but really, truly, B is that 
he fought to get as much as he could back of himself, right? And 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 I think sometimes like, oh, maybe he would have wanted to play football, right? He can't play any contact sports because of blood thinners and just having, you know, having a brain tumor. But then I look at him and he's almost a black belt in karate. And I just think it's such a inspiration to me as his mom to see him uh, find joy in life find ways to to be like you know what yep I can't do this but I can do that and he focuses more on the can than the cannots if I had to come up with one word to describe Gavin based on me reading your Caringbridge site I I would choose the word resilient that is being able to bounce back from a setback give me another word <laughs> um that's definitely a great word for Gavin I guess I would say, in a, in a good way, stubborn. <laughs> um, my, my mom always told me how stubborn I was as a kid. And she said, I hope you get one just as stubborn as you. And I think of that and I laugh because I think of how ridiculous I was as a kid sometimes. But Gavin has that. He, he does not give up. So the resilient is perfect, but also just that... Uh, perseverance maybe to just keep going no matter what I mean the conditions he's been in the 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 hopeless nights we've had of just him being sick and being so tired of having to fight but yet he woke up and he fought again and he fought again and so just being able to um, to just not not be bullied not be bullied to just say no I am going to be here and I am going to make it. I mean, what six-year-old, five-year-old, he was still five, you know, can look at his parents who are just, you know, so torn about, do we keep pushing things, you know, that's that's keeping you alive, but maybe making you worse at the moment, or, or do we just give up and enjoy our days with you? And he looks at us and says, you guys, mom and dad, you can't give up on me because I'm going to make it, but you have to believe. I mean, I... I just can't believe that came out of a five-year-old's mouth. And, and you know, he really has strong faith that God has been with him um, and that God has been, has been the reason that he's here. Finish this sentence. I don't think it is fair that. Oh, that's tough. It's tough for me because... Uh, because we haven't really been granted the the life that that gets to complain about what's fair. Um, I, I don't think it's fair that a kid should suffer. I'll, I'll say that. That's number one. Um, but at the same time, life just isn't fair. And I think what's more important to focus on is not what's unfair, but but what can you do to change? You know, what can you do to change what's not fair? And I, I focus on the action more than than why, I guess, or, or that it's there. Uh, because, again, it's just, it's just too painful. It's too painful to think, I, I wish life would have been different for him. I wish he didn't have to go through it, but but I can't change it. So I guess that's why it's really hard for me to, to think about it. I know there have definitely been times on this journey where Gavin has need, needed a lot of attention and so I was just curious with having two other siblings um, did the other siblings ever feel that they should be receiving more attention and how did you as parents kind of help 
bring balance to that. Yeah, it's definitely, I just picture like a juggler um, right now in my brain because uh, that's what it was. I mean, my husband and I, we felt it was very important uh, when Gavin was in the hospital for one of us to be there or someone that, you know, is very close to him to be there. And I think that helped him recover uh, many times, right? And so what did that mean? That means if one of us is there, the other one is with with the other kids and doing everything, right? The household things, bringing them to school, etc. And then, of course, there were times where it was really bad and we both had to be gone, I mean, for weeks, you know, where the kids could just visit us. And, and I guess I'm just, um, I'm really thankful that I have I have five siblings that I'm very close to, Steve's parents, my parents, my good friends. I mean, we, that that whole, it takes a village, right? Um, we definitely used that village um, for our kids. And we had people reach out and say, you know, I really want to do something special for Grace. And can I bring her shopping? Or can I bring her to, uh, to the amusement park or, you know, Hey Gage, let's, you know, let's go to the, the monster truck show. Or, I mean, so, so, if Steve and I weren't able to, you know, do those special things with them to show them that they're important too, then we, we leaned on people and we just told them, Hey, we need, we need your help. And I think, um, it's been a very humbling experience because I'm, I've always been very independent. I've never, I've never wanted anybody's help. I can do it myself. There's my stubbornness coming back. But I realized I couldn't, I absolutely couldn't. I needed their help to, to make sure my kids weren't left behind and that they knew that they were loved and just as important and that I would fight for them too. And I think they knew that. In regard to this journey, what aspects have you had guilt about? I think, you know, there's guilt about, gosh, when we started treatment, right? Cause it's always hindsight. And now I'm going, when we started, I was just so, <clears throat> I put all of my trust into the doctor's first plan. And then that plan didn't work out so well and it made things worse. And, and you know, so I guess there's guilt about that, that I could just, I wish I could go back and I could be that kind of advocate for Gavin from the beginning that I eventually had to become. Um, would that have changed things? You know, of course I, I think about that and I, and I have guilt that, that I wasn't able to, uh, I mean, just the emotional toll that it takes, you just, you, you kind of have to fake it sometimes, right? So when, when Grace had a, a Valentine's party, it's like, I had to tell myself, this is important to her. I have to, I have to make this box. I have, but yet I was just going through the motions and I was, I was so emotionally um, disconnected. And so I have guilt that, you know, I wasn't fully present uh, at those times. Uh, but I also, you know, I know, um, I know that I did everything I could. And I guess when I have those feelings of guilt as a mom, um, I remind myself that, that my kids are so empathetic and compassionate because of what we went through and that, that those times of not being able to do what I wanted to do with them, you know, that they forgive me, that they've learned from that, that we've all grown in a positive way from, from the experience. Today, um, how often do you feel like your tank is on E? Oh. And what keeps you going? <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, what's, what's really interesting uh, is that I was running on E for so many years. And 
and I just I just had no other choice, right? And so I did it, and then I think the exhaustion came later. <laughs> Uh, when Gavin was back in school and Grace is a competitive gymnast and engages in basketball and you kind of go back to life, but it doesn't feel the same, right? As if it would have likely if none of this happened. And so I think that's when I finally felt the after effects, the aftermath, the, the depression at times, the PTSD of what we went through, you know, you, you don't have time to process it when you're doing it. But then afterwards, you're just in this kind of deep thinking, um, reflecting. Yeah, on E and and I guess the only thing that really helps you kind of snap out of that is, you know, your your kids still still need you and, and they, um, Gavin will, will say, I mean, every day as a 13 year old, he will say, Mom, I am just so blessed and I have such a good life mom I have I have parents that love me and I have a house and I have friends and I have karate and oh my gosh like how can he as 13 year you know 13 year old boy be so thankful have such a heart of gratitude and so then I think you know what I did something right and I have to allow myself some grace when I um when I get sad or when I get down or when I get depressed or when I think about uh, all of it. I just, I have to just allow myself to feel it because I think I didn't have time to feel it before and I'm still processing and I'm still dealing with it. What role has community played in this journey for you? Wow, they have been uh, pretty amazing when I think about, uh, when I think about the times where we couldn't do for ourselves and community members brought food over or they cleaned our house or they took our kids to events, um, or they did a fundraiser. And, you know, now it's really cool because the kids that Gavin went to school with when he was diagnosed and went through all of his treatments, um, they're now at, at my school that I teach at, and they're my students that I teach and, you know, peers. And what's really cool is to see them just take him for who he is, you know, just knowing life hasn't been easy for him and just you know, hey, Gavin, how's it going? They're just so positive with him and they care. And I know that doesn't, you know, 13, 14 year old kids, they don't, they don't do that on their own. And I know that's their parents and their community that they've been brought up in. And so I'm just very proud uh, to, to be where we are and to be supported still, even, you know, even years later, people start to, to lose support, I think, some, or feel that way. But I feel like every time we've, we've kind of reached out, we've, we've had it. People haven't forgotten about him. You update readers of Gavin's Caring Bridge site quite regularly. In addition to medical updates, you've used it as a place to, I'd say, vent or yeah. share your feelings yeah. you're having in the moment. Um, why do you publish those as opposed to keeping a private diary and what prompts you to share? I think, you know, why do we go to the movies? Why do we read books? We we want to feel what others feel. I think it helps us grow and learn when we haven't experienced something ourselves, right? And and for me, I've just I've just never been someone to to keep my thoughts uh, to myself. You could say that I I just I tell it how it is, and and I think um, I think I would get kind of anxious keeping keeping all those thoughts in, right? There was times where I was at the hospital for you know, for days and nights and days and nights. And 
and, and I just had no one to, to vent to. And so I could go on Caring Bridge and I could say, here's what's happening. I'm so exhausted. I don't know how I'm going to keep doing this. This is what's frustrating me right now. Gavin just got poked five times. How can they do this? And, it, and it's just that, um, that 15, 20 minute post that I could make allowed me to just move on. Right. And, and so I've just always been a natural, like writer and, and speaker. And, and I tell people, you know, you know, how I feel deeply and, and maybe the teacher in me also, like, if you can learn from my experience, great. If you can feel, and, and I just, it's amazing because people that have read my caring bridge for years, you know, I'll meet them in person. I've never met them before. And they will just embrace me with like a hug and, and they'll say, I know it's weird, but I feel like I know you. I've been in your mind. And it's like, yes. And, and how will people really know what it's like to go through what we have if I'm not brutally honest? And I, and I just, to me, it's, it's serving a purpose for myself to, to be able to let those feelings out and move on. But it's also really to, to show and to help others feel what we're feeling. You know, it's it's to, to give them some compassion and some sim- sympathy and empathy with people that that have it, um, you know, have it tough sometimes. I can imagine uh, going through a situation like this over such a, such a long duration um, has a lot of stresses. And I can imagine that it, for many people, it could probably end a marriage or a relationship. And I don't want to get too personal, <laughs> but what have you and your husband had to do to also keep your relationship strong? Yeah, that is, I mean, I, I'm a part of a momcology group on Facebook and that's definitely a topic that, you know, a lot of moms have, have shared about. It's tough on a marriage. It's tough on a relationship. And, you know, just to share something that I don't think Steve would mind me sharing, but, um, when we were, uh, 2002 was when we got married and when we were planning our wedding, uh, which was in August, we found out in June that Steve had testicular cancer. He was 23 years old. (laughs) We were young. We were just just so, um, you know, invincible. Right. And I think, I think that really changed from the beginning, what marriage was to us. Um, because my first six months of being a newlywed was, you know, Steve, um, going through chemotherapy and getting really sick. And I, I I think that that just kind of set, set the tone as, as sad as that is, but we were like, okay, we are not invincible in this life. Things aren't going to be perfect. We know that, but we still love each other. We're going to be there. And yeah, I mean, there was times where it was months of feeling like I didn't have a husband and he probably felt he didn't have a wife because our whole focus was on our kids and that, and that is tough. That is not easy. But um, again, we would we would make the time uh, when when we could. And maybe I mean there was times when we would just go to dinner and we would end up just talking and crying <laughs> because of uh, of all the things we were sad about. But we still allowed each other to to say, Hey, I'm still here, and and we're gonna continue. We're gonna pick this up where we left off. But we got to save our kid first. And I think that our love for our kid was our bond when it couldn't be our love for each other. And, um, you know, we were able to then kind of almost reconnect through, through after 
it and uh, go up north. We love uh, Lake Superior, so we go up to Lutzen every year, and we and we just we just go away and we get away, and um, we love to travel and experience new things together. And we've just had to had to work on it consciously. Have have to make time, um, even when we're stressed. I'm sure there have been a lot of learnings over the past decade. Yeah. Uh, can you give me one or two that you've learned by going through this journey that you likely would not have known or understood by not going through this? Yeah, I guess um, kind of going back to like sharing everything that I've shared with people, with strangers. Um, and I've, I've spoken for Pfizer and some companies around the country and actually overseas. And I've spoken to a room full of people that are strangers and I've told them this very personal story, right? And what I've learned from doing all of that is that we are connected through these common threads of life and that, and that when we open ourselves up, it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing how close we can feel to others and, and how, how the trivial things just fade away. Um, and I think that's what I seek most in life is that connectedness with others. And I don't think I would have had that otherwise because, because, you know, I just, I was naive and how, and you can't blame me. I had three healthy kids. I was fine. You know, we had that one hardship at the beginning, but everything was going great. And I feel like I didn't, I don't wish that it happened, but because it happened, I was able to grow as a person, as a human, as, um, someone to, to seek what I have in common with others rather than separate us, you know, with differences. And so I've just been amazed at the power of a story and what that can do for a relationship. This is my wild card question. All right. <laughs> uh, it could either be, have a very obvious answer or maybe not. So that's why, okay. why I'm interested in asking it. Uh, who do you think in your family has been shaped the most by this journey? I would have to say obvious might be Gavin, but I'm going to go outside of that. I, I think Grace. Why? She, her and Gav, um, you know, they were 13 months apart, right? So she was just, just a year shy older than him. And she, she found this out, this, you know, my, my brother has a brain tumor when she was seven, when she was at a very impressionable age, I think. And, um, you know, even though our focus was to save Gavin, you know, I think at some point I realized how much she was changed by it. You know, when things were really bad, I remember, uh, you know, her coming down the stairs and just in tears and just um, finally saying the words out loud, you know, is my brother going to die? And it was that moment that I realized, oh my gosh, you poor girl. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to make things as happy as we can, but we can't ignore the problem. And I think, um, you know, she was eight years old at that time and I just, she had to grow up so fast. She had to accept things that most kids her age don't have to. And then as she gets older and she's 14 now, um, she wants to be a surgeon, you know, she wants to, she wants to save others' lives, but she's made it very clear she will not operate on children, <laughs> which I can imagine is too close. But, um, she's taken, 
she's taken some really hard news and she's had to deal with it. She's had to be there for her younger brother. You know, she was kind of his like older sister under her wing when Gavin was sick. And, and so I just really think she is who she is because of what happened. And, and she unfortunately was just forced to grow up you know, really fast. And I, I see her with her peers. Uh, last year, she was in my, my class mm -hmm. for school. And she's just so far beyond in maturity and dreams and goals and what's important in life and knowing, you know, that what kind of shoes you don't ha or have is like not the important thing, right. And, and I hope that um, with all the heartache and all the sadness that she's really um, become a very strong-willed, independent girl who, who wants to then save lives. She wants to kind of pay it forward and, and give back. Your last question for you. All right. What advice do you have for family members of someone who is enduring a journey that is open-ended? Where you don't know the where the end is. Right. <laughs> Gosh. Um, yeah, I can definitely feel that because uh, we never have had an end. <laughs> We've never been like, if this happens, we'll be done. We'll move on. Because even when, right now, we're not planning any treatment. But that doesn't mean Gavin's just back to Gavin. I mean, life doesn't go back to normal. When you have experiences like this, you live a new normal, right? And I think what that what that does and what I would tell others in this situation is, it just really teaches you to embrace um, the day that you have, right? And to be present, to be fully present in life. And and that's very um, freeing, actually, right? Because, because we have this, we, we all know we're not going to be here forever, but yet we kind of think we are. And so when you have a, a a journey that you don't know how it's going to end or how long it's going to take, it kind of reminds you that that's what life is. Life, you know, is not a guarantee. And, and we don't know, um, we don't know the journey that lies ahead of us. We, we can't know it. And, and I think that's, that's just huge because I came to that realization, like, I can't plan everything. I can't plan for tomorrow. I, I mean, I can do my best, but, but really you just, you have to give it up. You have to give that up and you just have to be free and you just have to live today um, and just focus on the, the things that, that make you happy and that give you joy and do those things because, because none of us know. Nicole, thank you so much for your time today. Um, you have a fascinating story full thank you. of inspiration. And so I want to wish you and your family all the best as we continue into year 2020. Wow. <laughs> 2020. <laughs> and, uh, and thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Stone's Throw. For those interested in viewing Gavin's Caring Bridge site, Gavin's name is spelled G-A-V-I-N-P-I-E-R-S-O-N. Also, if you have been on a journey through trauma or are connected to somebody who has and would like to share that story as a way to help others, please contact me at greenwhistleinc, that's I-N-C, at gmail.com. Until next time.